Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Armine here at the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine in southeastern Pennsylvania. How is everybody tonight? And I know that most of the country is in a deep freeze. At least that's what we're waiting for here. I spoke to some people in Indiana and um, Wisconsin, and uh, and they were like at negative 35 degrees uh, without the windshield. So uh, I guess everybody's kind of staying home today. Today we have a very special show. Uh, our center is raising awareness about a condition that can cause uh, acute onset psychosis, tics, OCD, and other neuropsychiatric symptoms in adults and uh, children, children and adults, mostly children. Uh, it's called PANDAS, uh, which stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infection. I know, say that five times fast, okay? And there's other uh, permutations of that. Uh, one of them is PANS, Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome, which kind of lets you know that it can happen from not only from strep but from other things. And today we have the honor of interviewing uh, Tracy Deneza. I hope I pronounced your name right. Yes. Who is a mom of? Thank you. Who is a mom of two children with pandas? Is a tireless advocate for pandas awareness. Uh, she works to spread awareness in the state of Maryland. She also works with Pandas Italia. She's the co-administrator of several private Facebook support groups that help parents learn and deal with this disease. Uh, Mr. Neza has been instrumental in promoting the first Pandas Awareness Day in many states this past year in bringing Pandas awareness into schools and aiding new Pandas, pandas I'm sorry, new pa- parents in finding resources and help. So I am ecstatic to have you on the, sto- on the show, Tracy. I really am. Thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us tonight. Well, thank you very much for having me and giving me the opportunity to just let more people know about the condition. Thank you. Well, listen, let's let's jump right into it. Um, let's end, let's ask the obvious question. What is PANDAS? Oh, um, PANDAS is an autoimmune neuropsychiatric condition, as you can see. Um, it's something that happens what would seem overnight sometimes. Um, sometimes there's not an acute onset with it, but it causes inflammation in the brain, um, basically like autoimmune encephalitis, and it when you have the autoimmune encephalitis occurring, it can cause a range of symptoms. Um, any type of neurological or psychiatric symptom can present with this, really, and it's not just solely from strep, as, as you mentioned about the pain. Well, that's. Um, I'm glad we're widening it. Is this a mental illness uh, in the classic sense that we think of a mental illness? No, not at all. Not at all, because this is brought on by an infectious trigger, whether it be from a viral, bacterial, or even something that's biomedical, like a, a yeast, or even an allergic condition that causes inflammation in the body, whereas regular mental illness is not based with that. So this will come and go. It will wax and wane. And, of course, um, knowing that it comes from a infectious source, uh, lends the lends you to the belief that we can eradicate it and get get it better if we recognize it. Yeah. Uh, with that, um, what are the symptoms? What in the wider scope? What should parents be looking for in children? What should clue them in that um, what they're seeing in their child may be related to pandas? Well, that's the thing. One day you have this wonderful, bright, normal child, and then something's just a little off. And it, it could be any one thing. It could be that all of a sudden Timmy wants to straighten up his room all the time or he starts collecting things or has this aversion um, to foods and smells or textures on his body, which, you know, a lot of people with these sensory issues, you know, they'll say, oh, no, it's just a fate. But these things come after an infection, uh, you typically. Um, and or exposure to it could happen like a delayed reaction. So y- you can see that happening. You can see some children will have ticking, eye rolling, tongue thrusting. They will have uh, snorting ticks or vocalizations. Um, look, throat clearing. I have a, a friend whose daughter sneezed over 2,000 times a day and mm. for years they didn't know. And then after IVIG, the sneezing had stopped. And hers was a pans or a pit and, which is where any infection can cause it. Um, 
where it's actually from Lyme disease. Wow. So it doesn't have to be from strep. No, it can be from walking pneumonia. It can be from Lyme's, as I said, or co-infections of Lyme disease. It could be from parasitic infections. Um, it could be from streptococcus or, or even mononucleosis. It can even be from things like um, overdeveloped amount of yeast in the gut, um, mm-hmm. which can cause mm-hmm. hyperactivity in children. Uh, mm-hmm. In my own children, I, I see it from allergic responses from high amounts of mold. That, that so anything cause... that can cause inflammation in the brain, or what I, my, my famous phrase is upregulating the neurological system, but anything that can do that, okay, might give symptoms of neuropsychiatric disease. Yeah, it, it very well <clears throat> And the link between strep and, and neuropsychiatric symptoms has been around for over 200 years at this point. They've, really? They've seen it hand, yes, they've seen it hand in hand with um, things like obsessive compulsive disorder. And well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because when I was first in practice and I read about PANDAS, um, the allopathic community kind of poo-pooed it. And uh, is PANDAS still controversial? Oh, yes. Definitely it is, because any time you go against what is traditionally known and understood, you're going to have somebody saying, hey, wait, no, that doesn't go with what's in the book. I mean, medicine is not an exact science, and you have to understand that, so it's constantly evolving as we evolve. And when you look at it that way, you're going to say, oh, well, then, yeah, the doctors are right by what they know, but you have to have an open mind and a broader spectrum to look at as well. I'm glad you put it in that particular uh, stead. Do you notice, uh, talking to various parents, that uh, pediatricians are, since these are the people who are usually seeing the children first, are more accepting or more vigilant about uh, PANDAS disease? Well, see, when you look at it from a pediatric standpoint, the pediatric practitioner, they typically have hundreds of kids. And this is a case-by-case basis. It's an individualized approach. So when you go to your pediatrician, they're not going to say, hey, pandas, unless they've seen other kids that have this or mm-hmm. a lot of them that have not exactly, they've studied in like Eastern medicine beliefs and things like that as well, will be more aware of these connections. Um, typically, when you see it, the, you have to build a case history of this. This isn't just one little episode and, ooh, you have pandas. It's, it relates to the infection, to the course. It's, it's a pattern, and that's actually how my pediatrician found it in my children, and that's almost eight years ago. Because he actually um, took time to schedule and look at all the different times that they were sick, every time they would come in, how they would present when they were sick with strep or a different illness or come in for checkups when they weren't ill. And he just said to me one time, you know what? I'm going to check them for strep because hyperactivity sometimes is a symptom of strep. And I didn't know that. And you're you're looking at almost eight years ago that that was told to me. And back then there was not as much information available as there is now. So it it was almost impossible to know. Um, if you could speak up just a bit, I'm getting some messages that you're a little hard to hear. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, I no, that's okay. I know, and it's and it's a good voice. I just uh, want everybody <laughs> to get every single word that you're saying. That's fine. I'm and sorry. no, it's okay. <laughs> I, I um, I think one of the things I've I've always cur- been curious. I have been seeing myself uh, an awful lot of children with OCD and anxiety disorders. Um, how would you tell the difference? Um, what should a parent be asking for or looking for uh, between general OCD and, um, and PANDAS? How, how would you differentiate it? I'm glad you asked that question um, because, honestly, general OCD comes about normally. It doesn't have to be connected with any type of infection. So you would actually do blood work on it, check and see what's in the blood because if you're seeing an infectious, you know, episode, whether it's from mycoplasma or strep or whatever it is, and you're seeing this OCD, it generally will correlate with that. Whereas if you have plain old OCD, there will be no infections that you can see, nothing in the blood work, nothing in the endocrine system and all this. I mean, there's so many disciplines of medicine with this, but yeah, check Mm. the blood work and you can tell just by the blood work. 
I would guess that PANDAS mimics a whole mess of other diseases. Okay, you think you could uh, let everybody in on um, what diseases it may mimic? Oh, definitely. I can tell you that just based on my own children alone, but so many others that I talk to. I mean, you have ADHD, you have ADD, you have OCD, you have obsessive, you know, um, compulsive disorder, but you also have oppositional defiant disorder. It can mimic, it could present with just migraine headaches. Um, It could show up as schizophrenic-type episodes. Hallucinations in some people um, are common sometimes. Um, It can also show up like in tinnitus, uh, visual issues. Um, What else? There's so many. I mean, basically any neurological, it it could show up as Sydenham's chorea-type movements to Mm -hmm. rest. I mean, there's so many neuropsychiatric and and neurological conditions that can mimic this. It's, It's... it's mind-boggling. I had um, a person on the um, on the chat because I'm simultaneously running the chat room, asking, "Can it mimic autism?" Oh yes, definitely. I know so many children regressive autism um, that that. You I'm know, sorry. Did you say progressive or regressive? Regressive, like when the ah. child's like eight or nine or seven, and then suddenly they start to become autistic. These are not children that are born with autism, and they they will regress. Um, you can also have age regression, but yes, the autism, definitely. Um, I've seen it, and I've seen kids that have regressive autism that have, have been treated with antibiotic therapies and um, anti-inflammatories and even some with IVIG or, or even holistic medicines that it, it's, it's almost completely gone. It's like there's no autism there anymore. And it's not something that happens overnight, just like the progression into pandas doesn't happen overnight either for a lot of people. Mm. I always had the vision that PANDAS was um, an immediate. Uh, and um, talking with you, I'm learning that uh, there can be delayed responses and yes. delayed uh, symptoms. And that's uh, that's very important to me because, um, it, because you know, uh, it, when I take a history, I have to listen to what happened and try and look for a, a cause and effect relationship. And, um, and knowing that that's going to come out later, uh, is something that uh, is going to be important for me. Uh, I know that some parents would like to know, um, is uh, is the effect permanent? Is this going to be something that the child's going to have to live with for their whole life? Well, I can tell you that it does get better. Um, there's no one specific cure for this, but it does get better, and they can live a fairly normal life. Um, I want to say it does get better because I myself have pandas, and I haven't been diagnosed by a panda's doctor, but I have been diagnosed by my own family physician. And I had recurrent strep, sinus, and ear infections as a child and as a teen, and anxiety and OCD, and it all goes hand-in-hand with when I'm ill. So it, but as I got older, it got better for me personally, and mm-hmm. I've seen it with so many children that, you know, I get a lot of people that come into the panda's community and they're looking for help, and then, you know, in a couple months or some of them in a year or so, their child's doing so much better that they're not in the community looking for help anymore. They're actually helping the other people because their children are in such a better place. So it is something that does get better. That is wonderful. That is really wonderful. Does this tend to run in families? Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) Definitely it does. Um, They're they're actually just finding genetic markers for it, and we're going to be hearing more information about that later this year. Um, if it's genetics, yeah. it's right up my alley. It's genetics, but it's also autoimmune. So if you have somebody in mm-hmm. your family that has any type of autoimmune condition, whether it's diabetes or lupus or anything like that, you or even like chronic allergies, nine times out of ten, that puts you at a predisposition for developing these things because it taxes the autoimmune system, and then it opens the doorway for this to be able to occur in the brain. I am... Um Answering, um, and maybe I should bring it up to you instead of jumping in. I'm answering someone on the um, on the chat who mm-hmm. stated that um, had asked if this can mimic autism, mm-hmm. and uh, then said uh, because it never was. Uh, if the IV, IG treatments and so forth made the autism go away, it wasn't autism in the beginning. Right? That's what Correct. I'm. It never was autism. It never uh, was autism. But okay, so is that is that a correct statement? I, I could I could safely say, in my opinion, it would be yes, because 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things. Like um, my son was diagnosed with depression at the age of three years old. It wasn't depression. It was pandas. When he got the proper treatments and we got the infections under control, the inflammation under control, that depression mm-hmm. went away. And so, that yeah, makes a lot I, of could, sense. I could say that safely in my opinion, yes. Okay, I would, um, I would understand if we looked at autism and um, pans or pandas at, as two different entities. You, okay, you could look but, at it with genetic markers, yes. But it, uh, sometimes uh, I look at autism as uh, a downstream effect of problems that occur, uh, you know, neurophysiologically. And those problems can be from infections and so forth and so on. It's the tendency to have the autistic expression. So I don't look myself, I don't look at autism and a lot of these other diseases by their name. I look at them as expressions of what's going on. Uh, inside the body, so um, right. I guess Label. it's a matter. I, <clears throat> it's a matter of um, opinion. I have a caller. Would you, this be a good time for a break to oh, sure. Go ahead. answer a question? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead. Okay, caller in the five six one area code. Uh, you have a question. Hello. Hello. Hi, this yes, is Doctor Armine. You're on the air. Did you have a yes, question? Doctor. Yes. Uh, I was just wondering about uh, about what you're talking about, uh, and um, anyway, what I'm trying to say is uh, there is something wrong in the air conditioning systems. What they started putting out is like what was in the FEMA trailers, and it's toxifying the air, and it's causing people to have illnesses. And what it does, it takes the potassium and other uh, vitamins out of the body. Do you know anything about that? Have you studied about the FEMA trip? Yes, you can. Um, you can contact. Um, you can contact me personally on my website if you want to ask that question. Our present uh, subject is um, is pandas. Okay, and uh, I'd be happy to answer your question if you contact me by email. Okay, okay but this uh, what you're what you're asking about. I uh, just go to my website and you'll see it. Okay. Okay. Thanks is so much. Website, what is your website? Oops. Oh, I hit the button too fast. Sorry. Um, I was asking what your website was, Dr. Armin. Okay. And my website is Dr. Jess Armin, D-R-J-E-S-S-A-R-M-I-N-E.com. And, of course, if anybody has any questions for Tracy or myself, uh, you can uh, feel free to email me at jess at drjessarmine.com, and I will forward um, the questions to Tracy. Okay, so um, where were we? <laughs> uh, pandas, pans, and pit and. <laughs> okay, and uh, you were saying that it does work, it can run in families. Oh, definitely. I mean, I have it. My children have it, and I've, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people having noticed this in themselves as well, and in other people in their family. I know cousins that have it. It doesn't always mean that one sibling will have it and one sibling won't or that both will have it, but um, it, it definitely runs in families. I've, I've seen it, cousins, aunts, uncles, parents. Uh, with many thousands of people I've spoken to about this already, it's just there's no way to deny the link between it running in families with genetics. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, let's get into... Um what kind of testing, what kind of specialist should somebody see? Is it something that uh, the regular pediatrician, I know there are panda specialists, but can it start with the regular pediatrician? Um, what type of testing should the parents be looking for? That kind of stuff. I think that it's helpful to arm people with knowledge so that they know that they're getting proper care. Oh, definitely. Um, well, Sometimes your regular pediatrician can run the test for you if they're open-minded enough. Some of them will refer or prefer, rather, that you go to a specialist. Um, But there's ASO and anti-DNA testing to look at strep titers. There's mycoplasma testing, Lyme disease testing. Um, And then other people have, like, IgG and IgA to see if they're immunocompromised as well. And those are just standard tests that are run. Um, Typically... Because PANDAS is a clinical diagnosis, it would be better for you to find a well-known PANDAS doctor 
to get your diagnosis, um, even uh, with what they have at um, Massachusetts General. They have a, a OCD clinic actually has um, information there, too, and down at NIMH with Dr. Sweeto. I mean, you, there's different places you can go. There's many different pandas doctors um, that they could go to. But typically your, your normal practitioner, unless they're open about it, unless you educated them or they've attended some kind of conference, which, you know, there have been a few of those, um, they're mm-hmm. not going to be aware of it. Typically the, the parents teach the doctor, the pediatrician, and they ask That's the them. idea. So, if we're ever going to change anything, Terry, listen, everybody, if we're ever going to change anything, we are going to have to be the ones who tell the doctors to get up off their duffs and get moving and learn about more things. Okay, this is the way this is the way of the world at the moment. We're fighting a system that is very rigid, that's very algorithmic. And um, how many people have uh, subclinical hypothyroidism <clears throat> just because the tests are normally still need thyroid re- you know, uh, hormone replacement therapy? Okay, yeah. it's going to take us to push it and push it and push it. And eventually it'll break through and things will change. There is a question here, are titers a definitive indicator of PANDAS? Absolutely not. There, it, this was actually discussed at the Rhode Island PANDAS conference and almost every single presenter there said, do not chase the titers. I, I myself know this for a fact because my son's titers were, for strep were well over 1,000 whereas my daughter's were well below normal range. She had never had any type of elevated titer because sometimes the body gets used to it. So titers, they can indicate when you've had an infection in some people. In some people, they don't do anything for you. But it is good to have that knowledge just in case because sometimes they can do it, but you don't chase the titers. It's it's almost impossible to do so because there's so many things. So many things that it's not just about the strep titers, and you know, so you could come into contact with any type of infectious trigger, any type of environmental trigger. Like I said, with my own children with the allergens, you're not going to mm-hmm. find titers mm-hmm. that show that they've been exposed to an allergen recently, and that's what's causing the inflammation that's making them have a flare. So the titers initially are good to have just for for the workup, so you have it done, and sometimes it can indicate. But there are people who have chronically low titers, and they have strep. My daughter was one. She It was living in her tonsils and adenoids, and yet mm-hmm. she never mm-hmm. had elevated titers. So, no, you, they are not 100% indicative of it. On the chat room here, there's, um, there's some people talking about the fact that just exactly what you mentioned, that the lab work came back normal, immune testing came back normal. The only thing found was... Uh, staff in the nose, and one doctor felt that that was the um, smoking gun. And so there could be, be. Yeah. So there's there's multiple uh, infectious triggers, not just strep. Yeah, my daughter had MRSA and staph, or MRSA, you know, the drug-resistant staph, and she mm-hmm. also had strep in her tonsils and adenoids, which they were living in the crevices of the tonsils and adenoids. They mm-hmm. caused her adenoids to be three times the size that they should have been, as well as the environmental allergies that she had. So she was constantly inflamed, and it wasn't allowing anything to drain out of her sinuses. So she would have chronic infection in the sinus and ears, and mm-hmm. it would cause panda symptoms. So, yeah, no, I wow. totally agree. This is uh, coming from the um, from uh, the very good people in the chat room. They're, um, they're actually mimicking everything you're saying, which is very good because, you know, I think that uh, people are understanding. Uh, I've got the impression that uh, the pediatrician would be a good place to start, okay, but uh, but parents have to be vigilant that um, infectious diseases can cause these neuropsychiatric symptoms, mm-hmm. and uh, the regular pediatrician may or may not know what testing to do, and if they, if you will, gloss over or um, gloss over the testing, um, it's we should at least know. What testing would you expect to be done uh, if somebody, if you had a child with these type of symptoms and you were concerned, um, what testing should the parents be looking for? Um, like I said before, obviously they will test for ASO and anti-DNAs and the mm-hmm. IgD, IgE. They'll also test for mycoplasma because that's a very common trigger, believe it or not. 
and they'll mm-hmm. test for Lyme disease. Because you can also have false negatives on your tests when you have things like Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. won't show up. Absolutely. So, I mean, those those are the key ones that they look for. But then there's so many other facets of this because some people have mitochondrial and MTHFR dysfunction, mm-hmm. which it causes different things. So a biomedical testing panel, which that they are very thorough, um, goes through everything. And you can also take, like, the organic um, acids test, the oats test, to check for elevated mm-hmm. yeast in some kids, even coxacoffee. And a lot of people... They they don't understand what hand, foot, and mouth does, but even coxacoccy mm-hmm. or, or herpes outbreaks can cause flares in our kids. So I mean, so coxacoccy and viruses, various viruses can do this also. Yes, definitely, definitely. I've seen so many children that came into the community and they've had very specific symptoms, and you know the parents are looking for help, and it turns out that the main issue is coxacoccy virus. Um, even E. coli virus, uh, the bacteria E. coli can cause it. Um, fecal strep versus strep pneumonia versus strep group A. You know, there's so many different types of strep, and my children are sensitive to different types of strep, which wow. commonly wow. they are overlooked because group A is the one that's, you know, connected with having the the more harmful things. So that's what they usually look for when you go into a doctor's office. They usually just swab you and not all the time is it going to show up on the swab because they're looking for group A typically when they swab you on a <clears throat> And nine times out of ten, they're not going to sh- send it out for a several day culture to check for every different type of strep. They're only going to send it out for a screen and that screening would only check for group A, B, C, D, and E strep. And there's, what, 15 different types of strains of strep? Yeah. Minimum that I'm aware of? So, so unless the, they're sending out for a full culture. Your so the takeaway is, messages from what I, I apologize, I interrupted. It's okay, I'm sorry. I, I rambled. <laughs> okay, I babble too, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the takeaway message I'm getting, okay, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that as a parent, uh, your your vigilance should your index of suspicion should be high if um, neuropsychiatric disease occurs uh, and you get some screening tests and they're all negative uh, you'd want to either get to a specialist or ask your doctor to do these other tests because there are numerous things that can cause or result into the the acute neuropsychiatric sin- uh, syndromes. Yeah. That we shouldn't be we shouldn't be complacent and say, well, the screening test was okay, you know, the Lyme test was normal. Uh, if you have a high index of suspicion, if your kid plays outside in the in, in uh, you know wooded area, you don't have to have a tick bite. Okay, no, you if don't. Lyme is endemic, so these are right. where your index indexes of suspicion should be high. Right, uh, that it can be caused from even a mosquito, actually now. Mm-hmm. And basically, no, any type of blood sucker can can transmit Lyme. And there's other types. It's not just Lyme now. There's other new ones that they just found out that are like Lyme, but they're brand new bacterial infections, and they cause the same symptoms as Lyme. True, true. I was gonna when you said blood suckers, I was gonna make a lawyer joke, but I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> okay, uh, we won't we won't go go into that. It's okay. Uh, you're, some doctors say pandas is overdiagnosed. Uh, if your doctor says that to you, uh, how would you respond to it? Honestly, it's, I don't believe that it's overdiagnosed. I believe that awareness is becoming more key, and more and more people are talking about it. When my children were diagnosed, they're like, oh, it's a rare condition. No, it was rarely discussed, rarely diagnosed. And it's not rare at all. It's very common. So is it overly diagnosed? No, not at all, not in my opinion. I I do global advocacy for this. There are countries that argue over whether or not this even exists. So no, no I don't that's true. That's true. According to according to uh, Australia, Lyme does not exist. Exactly. <clears throat> according to the United States, chronic uh li- chronic Lyme doesn't exist. And, or congenital. There you go. You know, so, so apparently it, apparently um Borrelia bugdiforia is the only um microorganism that only has an acute stage. So yeah. I didn't so know that could for, be that specific. Yeah, so, well, literally for somebody to tell a parent that it's overdiagnosed, if it's overdiagnosed, 
then why aren't there more awareness commercials about it? Why don't more doctors know about it? Why haven't there been more conventions about it? Mm-hmm. Why isn't I there agree. more research done? If it's overdiagnosed, why are those things not happening as much as they should? Agreed, agreed. So we talked about specialists in pandas. I know we have like our Lyme literate doctors. And is there a specific type of doctor that you would go looking for? Um, do, do people hold themselves out, hold themselves out as panda specialists, or who should I be looking for if well, I had a high in, suspicion and I wanted to see a specialist? I'm glad you asked that because you need to understand there's rheumatology, there's infectious disease, there's immunology, there's neurologists. Most of the doctors that I've seen that are really good panda specialists are the immunologists and the neurologists, uh, pediatric neurologists and immunologists, because they look at what is going on with the body as well, what is going on in the mind as well. Um, mm-hmm. But those traditionally, from what I've seen, are the ones that tend to treat pandas as panda specialists. Um, there are other doctors that are coming forward with it more, um, holistic doctors as well, which I, mm-hmm. I love. Uh, biomedical doctors, Dan doctors, will be able to help with the diagnosis of pandas as well. Tell us of the types of treatment that are available for pandas? Ah, It depends on each individual, as you know, but you have ones that are good with just antibiotic prophylactic, um, Mm -hmm. which is daily. Um, Some need steroid or even like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen. You have IVIG. Um, You have antivirals that are given for protocols. Some people look into homeopathy and do their remedy and and other things to help with that. Um, There's essential oils that work with it. There's plasmapheresis that has been done on some children that I know of. Um, There's all. I mean, those are the main treatments that I've seen Mm. throughout the community. And, you know, commonly they come in and they give the antibiotics and you know, and then they, they're like, oh, well, they're still flaring. Well, sometimes you need the anti-inflammatory in with it, or sometimes it's something to do with the viral, so you might need an antiviral added in there. But there's many different. You know, I've always, um, people have always asked me, <clears throat> excuse me, people have always asked, like, how do you know if something's working? How long should you treat with any particular um, modality or, or protocol, uh, and I hate that word protocol. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> uh, how long should you, do you have a general feeling for if someone goes to have IVIG or have, have um, plasmapheresis or has antibiotics, you know, um, how long should they wait before they sit there and go, this isn't working, it, it should be working by now, and I better start looking for at least, better start looking for a different root cause for the same. Um, I, I know you, you know what I'm getting at, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but and it may be different, but it is something that I've seen people get dragged into mm-hmm. months or years of treatment. I'm like, are you better? No. Then right. they said it's going to take some time. I'm like, define how much time. Yeah. Okay. Right. No, I, I, I understand completely. Like, when you're doing antib- antibiotics in a prophylactic sense, um, typically it can take three to six months before you see a turnaround. Now, as a parent, you're going to be able to be not only your child's first advocate, but you're going to be the first person to see everything that goes on. You're going to be more aware than those doctors. So you're looking at your child, and after a month, or even after a two-week protocol of antibiotics, if it's not working, you can call and ask to try a different bi- antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Same thing with IVIG. It, it, again, it all depends on the individuals. Some individuals will respond after one IVIG. Like my son, um, he literally responded within the first three hours of his first IVIG. We no longer do IVIG at this time, but I know that it's something that helped him, and it helped him tremendously. And my son had four IVIGs, but right now I can't can't get up to do them, and we're trying different methods as well. It, it all depends on how the child's growing, and it's also about hormones and the way that the body is actually developing 
because you have the neuropsychiatric, you know, you have the neurological system, the endocrine system, the hormonal system. And as we grow, some kids, when they hit puberty, it's almost like having IVIG for themselves and it all goes away. Other kids have onset at puberty. Um, Uh, Puberty can be like a bomb going off. Oh yeah, in some of these kids, and uh, it all depends. I agree with you. When you start, when you start putting in the uh, the endocrine portion, it becomes uh, more complicated. Uh, do you have a feeling for some of the alternative treatments uh, you had mentioned? Uh, and I am obviously I'm an alternative medicine practitioner, so I'm a great believer in uh, you know utilizing uh, alternative treatments when it's appropriate. But mm-hmm. what type of uh, uh, alternative treatments have been have a high degree of success? And how, again, how long should we wait uh, to make sure that what's going on is actually working? Well, I've actually seen some kids that work with chelation therapy that are in the autism spectrum um, with this, and it helps immensely. Other kids do a dietary protocol because it's more of a food sensitivity or yeast overgrowth, and the timing on it all depends on the way that that individual is. Um, I've seen fantastic results with homeopathy and biomedical treatments, and homeopathy can Mm -hmm. be just as simple as taking a streptnosode every day for a month or two or whatever, and then switching it up as needed, and then also taking, like, the constitutional to help with the symptoms, Um, Mm -hmm. and it, it could... Again, that depends on the individual because there's so many different, it's not just A strep, no, so there's strep A, there's strep F, mm-hmm. you know, and then the same thing with the constitutional, it goes with what your symptoms are when you have the homeopathy. Um, there's also essential oils that you can take, um, which are concentrated oils from the plant that I've mm-hmm. seen some people say have great success as well, um, almost similar to or identical to homeopathy. Um, I know some people... You know, they they have spiritual beliefs and things like that, so they believe in, like, Reiki healing and things like that as well to help calm ticks or whatever. Um, There's also massage therapy. Neurofeedback has been done. Uh, There's all different things that that are available to people, and each one works differently. But, yeah, the, the homeopathic stuff does work as well as the traditional medicines. Wonderful, wonderful. There's a question here on... um on the chat, and then we have a caller. Uh, um, we caught my son's pans very quickly within one month. Thank goodness to the nurse suggesting it. He was treated with Keflex and Bactrim for two weeks and rebounded nicely. Uh, should he be getting tested periodically or only get concerned if we see behavior changes? Okay, well, that would. this to me is the rely on your intuition thing. Because, mm-hmm. honestly, if your son has not had, like, chronic mycoplasma issue going on or, or something of that sort, those type of testings wouldn't be, again, you don't have to test, the, you know, chase those titers. And I know a lot of parents that will look at their child and they'll know when something's off, and even the children know when it's off in them. So, you, you know, you have to, we can't put our kids in a bubble, for goodness sake. But True. True. you have to be more aware of what they're around and things like that, and you know, it's not always the best thing to use a ton of antibacterial soap. You know, they're, they're finding that, that that actually weakens the immune system in some people. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So, you know, but you just, you be wary of where you're around. Watch for any little symptom. And if if you notice a repeat pattern coming up and you can see it, that's when I would say to do it. I don't think that, it, I mean, for some kids, that depending on their condition, like with Lyme's disease, or people who have mycoplasma, which is very difficult to get rid of, those things I would would check the blood work for more recurrently. Or if they have some other type of condition that coexists, like diabetes or something Mm -hmm. like that, they need the blood work, then yeah, because a lot of kids actually have the needle phobia, and it is a lot of blood work for children to have drawn. It really is. Well, we have a caller. Let's see. Hi, this is Dr. Armine, caller from the 905 area code. Hello? Is somebody there? Uh, Hello? Okay, guess not. 
Okay. Uh, one question on the chat was, the second time there's a flare, can the trigger be different than it was for the first time? Most definitely. My children are reactive to strep, mycoplasma, flu. When people have the flu vaccine and they're shedding the vaccine, my children are reactive. It also, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, my children are reactive to allergic triggers like tree pollen and things like that. So, yeah, it's not, I mean, it can start out as strep only, and then the immune system just can't process something else, so then something else can be a trigger as well. It doesn't always have to be the same trigger. And it's anything that causes cerebral inflammation. Or any type of inflammation in the body, yeah. Right. I mean, I okay. know so. I know children who actually have had lost the ability to walk because they have pandas, mm -hmm. and it caused severe inflammation in their ankles, their knees, and their hips to the point where they could only crawl on the floor. <clears throat> so um, it, it, it could be anything that causes inflammation the, anywhere in the body. Exactly. The Journal of Neuroinflammation, believe it or not, uh, came out with an article, and uh, their big abstract said that um, they thought that uh, inflammation was one of the major um, contributors to autistic spectrum disorder or the autistic um, behaviors, OCD, tics, and so forth. And I wanted to write next to it, duh. Okay, <laughs> I mean, if they paid him to do that, I mean, they could pay me to say that too. We have another caller. Hold on. Oh, okay. Caller from the 703 area code. Yes, hi, this is Asmi Zuru. I'm in Leesburg, Virginia. And how are you this fine night? We're doing great, and I've been listening to your show um, a couple times when, or a while back when Dr. T was on, because we actually work with him currently. Wonderful. Well, question Not can we as educated as I'd like to be, but do I have an extra minute to explain some of the occurrences with my son and um, not really what we've learned, but to get some more education? Sure. Okay, um... My son is 14, and he's been diagnosed with pandas for about two years now. We've done the real extensive blood work, and the, the, the thing that seems to scare us the most, he does have mycoplasma um, that's causing an issue, and his blood levels, and I'm actually losing track now, but the IgG levels are in the 500s, and I understand the normal rate would be between 800 to 1,200 possibly for a kid that, that age. Mm -hmm. Is that true? I, I would agree with yeah. that, yeah. Okay, um, so that really seems to be the number that fluctuates. At one point it went down to 420, and we've taken our first dose of antibiotic um, about a month ago, and we stayed on it twice for a period of 10 days, oh. and we did the blood work, and um, it stayed right around that same level. But the, the purpose of that was not to allow anything else to drop. So uh, our issue with him is he doesn't really have a lot of the tics. He has a little bit of OCD. He prays a lot, and he always feels like something bad's going to happen, so it's if a form really of OCD. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't um, pray or... or um, do a good deed or, or just something to that nature. But his um, his bigger problem is he has had a, a few seizures, and they're always around when it seems like the wintertime when his immune system drops even lower. Mm. Do you think that's all related? Um, I do think that the seizures are related to his immunological workup. And do you have an immunologist on board with you? Because that... If you're having the IgG and IgA like that, you really should discuss this with an immunologist as well. Yes, I heard like that earlier in the uh, program, and that's one thing we have not done. Um, and we do the Motrin thing, and, and um, we found that gluten seems to be, he may be sensitive to that, and it seems to bother him for a dietary issue. Because an immunologist would also check for all allergens as well and sensitivities. You can have it done through the prick test or the scratch test, as they call it, and you can also have subdermal testing as well as blood draws done to see if there's any sensitives reactive with the, um, with the proteins in the blood. And they would also be able to look at the immune system as a whole. So when you have these IgG issues like that, you, I, I would definitely get an immunologist on board. 
Okay, that's definitely our next step, and I definitely appreciate that information. Um, we have had prior, he's had severe allergies through the ages of like 8 to 12, mm-hmm. mainly spring and fall. Mm-hmm. But those have gone away. So are we talking the same type of allergies, or is that something different within the blood protein? It, it, believe it or not, some people can be sensitive and not have an allergic reaction to something. They could just be sensitive to it, like intolerant of it. And that's how it's done with um, lactose. But uh-huh. that's, you know, that's because when he was an infant, they gave him high-dose penicillin in, in the NICU, and it wiped out all the lactase enzymes in his intestinal system. And we didn't know that. So he had no lactase, so he has difficulty um, processing lactate. It's not that he's allergic to milk. He has no rash or, or any type of inflammation from it. It's that his body can't handle it. But there are other conditions as well that that can be looked into um, in a biomedical sense, like MTHFR uh, gene mutation can put people predisposed to the same issues that you're discussing with me right now. So definitely I would say it would be things to consult with an immunologist about and ask their opinion of it and just look into those things as well. Uh, the MTHFR could be something, and it's, it's actually... A lot of people don't even think to look for it because most people don't go to a biomedical doctor every day to look into it. But I would definitely do the immunologist first um, and see which direction you can go in from. But also keep on board with your your regular physician as well because you have to have a team of doctors that works for you. Yeah, Uh, we've had the neurologist through the seizures and then Dr. Trufoletti and then definitely going to search for an immunologist now in our area. And the uh, last thing I'll say so I can let you go, and I appreciate your time, is when he was um, eight years old, he ended up having an abscess. Mm-hmm. My wife actually knows exactly what it was, but his neck swelled up, and they had to go in and quick drain. Could that have started a lot of these symptoms? And we asked him at the time to take his um, tonsils out, and the surgeon at the time said that his tonsils were very small, that they didn't need to be removed. Is that true, or is that something we should revisit in case... Mm-hmm. As, as part of your or your program earlier, you said that it could stay in that area. Correct. I mean, it doesn't always cause inflammation, but it can live in the cracks and crevices. Um, my daughter actually had a type of, um, like, a, a pneumonia, and it turned into a cystic pneumonia in her chest. So she had the abs- she had this cyst in her chest that, if it went abscessed, it was nothing but filled with the infection. Um, there's a lot of people who have cysts issues in their sinuses and in their throat, and these cysts can actually harbor the bacteria and things like that with them, too. So it could be we actually have a pandas group that goes hand-in-hand with having arachnid cysts with pandas. Wow. So it is it is very possible. Would you suggest to um, have his tonsils removed? It depends on the person, um, and it depends on your doctor. And you have Dr. Trifoletti on board, and he, he's, a, he's a very, very good doctor. Um, he's one of the the few that I would handful, you know, say, if you want to go to somebody who knows what they're doing, go to Dr. T. And he is he's really good with what he's doing. Um, I would ask his opinion. Uh, some doctors will say, yes, you have to automatically remove the tonsils and adenoids right now. But yeah. it's not always the case. But it just like with a cystic type of situation, if there is bacteria and stuff living in those tonsils, your antibiotics are not going to get rid of that. My daughter was on high-dose clindamycin and Bactrim before she had her tonsillectomy, and when they took them out, because they could not see any infection in them, but when they took them out, all the surfaces that were touching the throat on the underside, those, the tissue was so severely infected, they just came out and they looked at me and they said, I'm so sorry, we never saw the infection. And My goodness. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it depends on, I would definitely consult Dr. T on that one to ask his opinion. Some, like I said, some will say rip them out and some will say, no, you don't have to take them out. But it depends on what you're seeing, the rate of infections. My children had strep 13 times in eight months. Because My it goodness. just kept See, my up. son had a couple of ear infections back to back and then constant strep. And we had... Mm-hmm. Um, couple of different remedies uh, through a homeopathic doctor. And uh, it really worked out, even with the um, detraining of the um, uh, fluids in the ear. And and we never had to have any surgery at that time. He was two or three years old. Mm-hmm. But I believe that um, they've had um, 
I, I really don't know, you know, if anything could have happened at that point or if anything um, would have been resolved or even detected back then. The um, the antibiotic he was on, I believe, helped a little bit. We saw a good little difference for about a week or so, and he did two treatments of that. Mm-hmm. Possible that we continue with that antibiotic and, and see if it needs to run its course for six months, as long as there's no other side effects. Yeah, I I would say, I mean, you, like I said, you have Dr. Trifletti on board, and he really does know what he's doing with not only the research aspect of it, but also with the treatment end. Um, so when he's telling you what antibiotic or what antiviral to do, he mm-hmm. really knows what he's talking about, and I would stick with whatever he's saying to you unless you're feeling that it's not working at all. But from he's what been I've very been, knowledgeable, and he really takes the time. He's definitely a good doctor. We wouldn't know where we'd be without him at this point. I just really want to get a faster answer. You know, I <laughs> Unfortunately, well, I have to tell you. Not <laughs> Sometimes that's not, that's not possible. Does he? Yeah. Uh, is he hallucinating at all? Um, you know, he did bef- prior to every one of his seizures. He definitely has a little hallucination, and okay. um, he just gets. And, um, he knows they're coming <clears> on it. Um, three grand malls and two petite malls, or at least their symptoms, because the neurologist says, mm-hmm. "Well, we don't think they're." really um, seizures, I think it's panic attack, and his brain just shuts down. So we're getting so many mixed signals on that end. But he does know it's happening, and he'll get up and he'll say, I need help, my mind is going black, and he'll, he's done it in school and at a friend's house. And mm-hmm. um, so it's definitely a scary thing, and he thinks he actually starts to reach for things in, in, the, in the sky and just kind of grasps for stuff. And he knows okay. something's happening. He calls for mom and dad. And then within about a minute period, he's, from what we've heard, because we haven't witnessed one yet, I can't believe it, but at school everybody pretty much tells us the same exact thing, and it's happened in front of six different people. So now That's usually a, a, very, a very high dopamine. Uh, some of the things you can do to help that is to get some neurotransmitter testing done and, um, and uh, testing the, of the adrenal gland. Uh, because uh, the infections are uh, hyperstimulating that area. If his dopamine's high and he's having almost um, schizophrenic-type um, symptoms, the religious ideations go along with that, his need to pray, uh, his feeling unprotected. Okay, so sometimes we keep going after the root cause, which is very honorable and very necessary, but we also tend to forget sometimes about the downstream effect. And uh, you need to treat both. Okay, there's no, even though some things may be a Band-Aid, okay, there's no dishonor in using a Band-Aid when you're bleeding. So if he's, uh, if he's uncomfortable and he's scared, um, you might want to see a biomedical type in, in conjunction with what you're doing to see what his neurotransmitter balance is. And uh, a lot of times you can give them GABA or you can give them, uh, you know, certain uh, amino acids to help rebalance and get them feeling a bit better and um, stop that constant upregulation that's, you know, cascading once it gets to a certain point, and then you get the cascade of the, uh, of the seizure. Okay, so put that in the back of your brain, too, because um, sometimes we get saying, let's keep treating the, the, the root cause and the poor kids in, in all kinds of discomfort, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you really should be treating both ends of it, you know. Yeah, that makes Okay, sense. thank you for your time. That, is, uh, that was a great, great, great question. I appreciate well, I really, it. really appreciate all your support, and uh, this show is wonderful. So thank you so much for all you thank do. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, Tracy, in the few minutes we have left, we have about um, eight minutes left, uh, could you tell us uh, how could you educate the school? Are there any support groups? How should people look for um, support in this? Okay, well, we have, there's, just so you know, there's over 29 different Facebook support groups that I am aware of, and mm-hmm. I either advise in or I, I admin them myself with others. Um, then there's also websites, there's books, um, and the websites like the National Institute of Mental Health, the mm-hmm. International OCD Foundation has a website. Dr. Michael Jenicky, even on YouTube, just put out the you know PSA uh, statements, two of them, one for clinicians and one for parents, about PANDAS. Um, that, and then you have the Facebook support pages, like the Pepsi Project uh, Pandas Refresh. And that's where we actually got our first $50,000 for um, Pandas Research was from Pepsi. Pepsi really? Free. Yes. Amazing. So, I mean, you, 
there's so many different things. There's Pandas International, Pandas Pedans and Pandas mm-hmm. International. Um, there's several different uh, organizations like Pandas Network. Um, with they, they are fan- fantastic people, and they actually helped uh, push for Pandas Awareness Day, which 15 states out of all oh. 50 actually declared it, and even the Dominican Republic. Um, wow. and, uh, and, and in Italy, it was declared that October 9th this year was Panda's Awareness Day. How do you um, like that? Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. That, that, that shows the power of the parents. It shows yeah. the power of the parents. But uh, it's the, also uh, the doctors. <laughs> say again? It's also the doctors, not just the parents. Oh, it is. But No, no, that, I, I'm not discounting the doctors. But being a parent, I, I have said, I've, been, I've been a healthcare provider for 37 years, and I've seen where things that were initially poo-pooed, okay, have mm-hmm. been put into the spotlight and the research has been forced mm-hmm. because the parents were dogged. And okay. your, your work is what really got the proper treatment and diagnosis. It used to be just PANDAS. Mm-hmm. Now, they realize, now we're realizing... As as makes sense to me because it's what I do, okay. That uh, anything that can cause inflammation, given a certain amount of uh, a certain amount of genetic pathways, will go down that particular road, and we have to. And anything can cause inflammation: viral, bacterial, fungal. Mm-hmm. The websites you spoke of, okay, are on my website at the moment. Okay, if okay. anybody goes to drjessarmine.com and clicks resources. On the bottom of the page, it'll say Pandas Resources, and it has all those websites uh, listed. So if anybody misses it, okay, um, please, or if anybody needs anything, uh, I'm sure those websites will be helpful. They will be on my uh, website permanently. So don't worry about it. If you ever have a thought in six months, you can go right there, and that's where the uh, websites will be. Uh, Does anyone else have questions? We have about three minutes left. I have uh, people are very appreciative of the show. I've gotten great responses on Facebook. Okay, is there any other quick questions, or is there anything else you'd like to add, Tracy? Um, honestly, there there are so many things that go on with this condition, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. one of the main things that I say to people is, when you're looking at it, it's not only one set of this or one set of that. Each doctor has their own specialty, even within the pandas community. And so you take what you can, what information applies to your child, and you learn as much as you can. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm big for standing on a soapbox. <laughs> um, I'll, okay. I'll be at a the grocery soapbox. store in the middle of the night. So, and that, you know, even with talking to the schools, you have to be communicating, and you have to know your rights. And you have to be aware that you are the number one person to not only advocate for yourself, but also for your child and what's necessary for them. So I I really do believe that you have to look for these things and you have to suggest these things. And I would not recommend that somebody be afraid of this. And I know this is a very emotional condition that people go through. Um, You go through a grieving process. That's you mm-hmm. do. You go through the grieving process because you yes, had you a child, or you yourself were more normal, you know, and and you lose that, and you want that back. The, this condition is very difficult on families. It causes dissension between siblings. It causes you to lose family members, and even can break up marriages. This is not something that people just look at. And the other symptoms that people don't really realize are things like regression in math and reading skills in school. My son, they used to think he had dyslexia. He has dysgraphia from this condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of my children have short-term memory loss in, in school. And a very common symptom of this is school anxiety. The children will be terrified to go to school. My son used to vomit every day for a year while he was waiting for the bus. It wasn't because he was being bullied. It's because he was so afraid with performance anxiety for school. And then he couldn't handle the situation when he was there. Well, I really appreciate all the time and effort that you've given uh, this condition and the help that you've given all the parents. Um, I just want to thank you for spending time with us tonight. 
And we have a grand total of 10 seconds, so I will be speaking with you soon, and I know we're going to have you on again, aren't we? (laughs) I think we might. (laughs) Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Have a good good week. Hopefully we'll get some good for next week. Okay, take care. (laughs) Bye-bye.